with week 43 of 2021. I'm Smitha Nair. This is your Weekly Fix. A lot of you, I suspect, have been keenly following the Aryan Khan bail matter. Some of the questions that have come my way in everyday conversations include exactly how do courts decide on whether or not to grant bail to a certain accused? Do all accused persons get instant bail hearings like an Arnab Goswami or an Aryan Khan manage to? Isn't it true that there are hundreds of poor, barely literate accused incarcerated for years for consuming small amounts of ganja, for instance? Does the political executive, the government, intentionally use extraordinary laws like the UAPA against dissenters because it's tough to get bail under such laws. So whether or not you're eventually convicted, you're behind bars for long periods, making the process the punishment. I thought it would be useful to invite lawyer Abhinav Sekri to have him explain the bail regime in India. My colleagues who cover law say Sekri brings great clarity to the subject of bail. That's in a moment. First, though, a quick catch-up on the big headline story of the week, Pegasus. Did the Modi government indeed use Israeli spyware Pegasus on the phones and other devices of its citizens to snoop? The Supreme Court this week said the government cannot get a free pass by citing national security all the time, and its power to snoop into the sacred private space of individuals cannot be absolute. So the court appointed an expert technical committee. Among the matters, the committee will investigate and determine whether the Pegasus spyware was used on phones and other devices of the citizens of India to access stored data, eavesdrop on conversations, intercept information, whether any Pegasus spyware was acquired by the government of India or any state government or any central or state agency for use against citizens. If you recall, in July this year, a consortium of news organizations reported that the phone numbers of over 40 Indian journalists appear on a leaked list of potential targets for surveillance, and forensic tests confirmed some of them were successfully snooped upon. Human rights defenders and opposition politicians were also targeted. Why is the government suspected of being the perpetrator here, the bad actor? NSO, the Israeli company that makes Pegasus, claimed that the military-grade spyware is only sold to vetted governments. Okay, now let's talk bail. Lawyer Abhinav Sekri joins us. Um, Hi, Abhinav. Thank you for making the time. No, my pleasure. Hi, Smita. Hi. Um, Earlier this week, you tweeted, uh, it's amazing to see so much engagement on legal issues for one bail. If only we cared that much on a daily basis. You were, of course, referring to the many articles published on the Aryan Khan bail matter. Uh, in, in this conversation that we're having, we hope for you to explain this rant, as you called it, in terms that a lay person with limited understanding of how bail works is able to get it. We will begin with a few basics. In this context, questions A, B, C, and D follow. A, uh, why and how is bail an important part of due process? of the criminal justice system. 
so first of all this is like the classic lesson in terms of me holding back on the twitter gun so <laughs> so uh, thanks for picking up on that but yes it is in relation to aryan khan as far as the first question that you've posed as to why and how bail is an important part of due process well frankly because bail is the uh, the the convenient solution that we have which tries to balance the interests which we consider legitimate interests of the state in pursuing a criminal investigation but at the same time without sacrificing what is considered sacrosanct which is the personal liberty of the targets of that investigation okay so without bail at least as of today that is the solution that our legal system and frankly countless other legal systems across the world have come on come around to agreeing upon as to you know how do we balance these interests so if we don't with because these are so critical for the state as well as for the accused hmm. bail by extension assumes that position of criticality in the criminal justice system frankly i would go so far as to say that in a system like india where delays are frequently you know part of every criminal prosecution bail assumes even more importance as opposed to any other jurisdiction okay when you say an offense is non bailable it doesn't mean that the accused cannot apply for bail so some folks seem to sort of not get that no that, and that's and that's pretty reasonable so it is incorrect to say that in a non bailable offense you can't apply for bail the distinction is that where an offense is bailable it means that you have a right to be released after arrest so long as you are agreeing to furnish bail now what i mean by that is it's not that you're taken into custody and then you say okay fine i want to go and then you can be released the police officer or the court has to be satisfied that you know given that you are a legitimate person of interest in the investigation they have to make sure that if they need your uh, cooperation they can call upon you and so some conditions might be imposed so long as you are willing to abide by those conditions you have a right to be released right this right is what is non existent when we talk about non bailable offenses where rather than a right of bail what you have is something that falls in the lap of judicial discretion where you can definitely apply for bail and you can apply as often as you want but ultimately whether or not you get bail is in the decision and the hands of a judge and frankly technically also in the hands of a police officer but we rarely ever see that happen okay therefore to explain what you just said bail being the discretion of the judge when so when a court hears a bail application how does the judge decide on whether or not to grant bail can should and does the judge decide whether to grant bail on the merits of the case as has been made out by the investigating agency in those early stages uh, whether you know prima facie a case is made out against the accused if not on what basis uh, is bail decided is there a way to sort of is, is it codified so it is not codified for large parts what is codified is you know very very small portion of it which is that certain kinds of judges basically magistrate level judges are directed that you shall not grant bail in certain kinds of cases where uh, deaths or imprisonment for life is possible hmm. unless you know you are convinced that the person is not guilty of the accusation so that is like the classic case of what you've uh, sort of hinted at 
that in those kinds of cases courts are actually expressly asked to look at the merits of the case but if you go through what is frankly a really convoluted line of decisions it appears that there are several factors that courts are required to look at out of these several factors the merits of the case are not specifically to be looked at but the court is required to look at what the police are saying hmm. in terms of what is the seriousness of the allegations that are being leveled against the accused right so you're not going to start appreciating whether or not the evidence is good or bad but you are definitely going to look at how serious is the allegation and at a basic level what is there to support this allegation is it just the say so of one person or the coerced confession so to speak made to a police officer or is there any independent material that suggests that there might be something to back up the allegations beyond which and just to quickly wrap that question up courts are always required to look at factors that will help the court decide that this accused is not going to be a threat to the investigation if released on bail so a court is going to look at factors that show whether or not the accused will tamper with evidence if released whether the accused will flee the jurisdiction if released or whether the accused might even threaten witnesses if released and all of that we are seeing as part of the conversation in and around the case that is currently occupying headlines right uh, so does it uh, i mean work the same way for instance for an accused charged under say an ndps act or under a P- under pmla are bail provisions um governing extraordinary laws like the uapa markedly different from other ipc provisions absolutely and what is in the ipc the exception in so far as death matters and uh, life imprisonment matters that becomes the norm in so far as these ndps uapa pmla all of these statutes are concerned pmla again there's a rider there but let's just ignore that for now but yes you are absolutely right that it doesn't work in the same way in those kinds of cases the merits of the matter assume pride of place because a court is required to look at whether or not uh, you know the merits are made out and if you're not able to satisfy the court that you are not guilty of the accusation even at that preliminary stage you are not going to be granted bail okay um now that you've uh, sort of helped us understand the lay of the land uh, some questions specific to how courts have handled bail applications in recent high profile cases i want sure. to draw your attention to what uh, j- journalist josie joseph the author of the silent coup he talks of a post 911 2611 world where the political executive has had a sort of carte blanche to um, enact draconian laws wherein the question of personal liberty is is pretty much not addressed um it happened the world over but he says in countries like the us other institutions primarily the judiciary has arguably been robust in its response um now the impression one gets based on the reporting on custody and bail in cases dealing with uapa sedition etc so blatantly used to curb dissent indian courts have tended to go with the investigating agency's claims at face value i want to ask you is this largely correct uh again i think if you go statistics wise i would say that yes it is largely correct at least at one level or the other because it is extremely rare for the court of first instance to be granting bail in in these cases as a matter of course 
So even if you look at, let's say, the recent orders that were passed by the Delhi High Court in respect of some of the riots cases, uh, again, that was the Delhi High Court and the persons were there because they had lost their bail applications at the court of first instance. Mm-hmm. So I, statistically, I would agree that that is the case. But again, we and again, going by the book itself, it's really these cases are, you know, really sui generis. And I think the problem is much deeper and I'm taking a little bit of liberty here in my response with the question, because, you know, what, what's really worse is that it would have been fine if it was only national security related cases. But the problem is that it's not only those cases in which we find that courts are not looking past the claims of the investigating agency, not only as far as the merits are concerned, but even stuff such as, okay, is the person a threat to the investigation or not? Courts are willing to accept cyclostyle replies filed by investigating agencies without really, you know, interrogating the claims that they make, mm-hmm. not only in matters of state security, but even in routine matters of cheating, breach of trust, stuff like that. And that is what makes Indian courts and the experience that a lot of people have really drastic. Right. Um, I mean, you, you wrote uh, evocatively on the case of denial of bail to Father Stan Swami. Uh, Could you sort of, for the benefit of our listeners who haven't read that piece, could you tell us what you wrote uh, in that article? (laughs) Thanks for pointing to that and your kind words. Uh, So broadly, I think that that case again fits squarely in this bucket of courts of first instance, at least not really looking past the state claims and showing us the problems with that when it comes to pitting the allegations made by the state, untested as they are at the stage of bail, as opposed to facts about the accused's medical history and medical condition at that point in time. And again, the fact that courts do not have any clear procedures as to, you know, how do they balance these factors? How do they look past allegations? And when they're faced with what are at least on face value objective facts, they are medical reports showing a person's condition. There have to be surely circumstances in which you have to say, okay, allegations are not really going to cut it. But Father Stan Swami, late Father Stan Swami's case shows us that, you know, there really isn't even that level of clarity. And unfortunately, we will probably never get those answers anytime soon. Hmm. All right. Um, I, 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 you know, I want to draw your attention to, uh, this is, of course, now regularly referenced, which is what Justice Chandrachud said in the Arnab Goswami bail matter. He said, uh, uh, deprivation of liberty, even for a single day, is one day too many. Um, Goswami, of course, got bail. Uh, but broadly, how does it really work for the Am Janta? I, this is a question, I, I, in the course of my reporting over the years, I've got from folks, you know, on uh, how does how does one get their bail to be bail application to be heard in the f- first place? Just for the benefit of our listeners, a few statistics that are damning. The latest NCRB data shows seventy percent of our jails are populated by under trials. One in three are Dalit or Adivasi, and it's certainly not breaking news that prejudices, caste, and otherwise are built into the system. Uh, do the honourable judges of the Supreme Court not see these people? Because I don't, and correct me if I'm wrong. Remember the court saying anything post the release of this data, you know, all the headlines were screaming about 70% of our jails being populated by under trials. And uh, as I said, it's no secret that uh, a majority of these are poor, barely literate, uh, unable to access 
uh, you know, justice like perhaps an Arnab Goswami or even an Aryan Khan could? No, so uh, partially, I think I've responded to your question earlier where I was commenting about the problem with Indian courts and bail and how the willingness to agree with whatever the state is putting us uh, putting up as a case goes much beyond state security cases but even goes to you know ordinary cases of the armed janta as you put it and and just to build on that further i mean those statistics really speak for themselves and that's not a one off figure so as a paper that i had the privilege to write with uh, you know some research assistants showed us that for over the last 25 years, basically since this prison population data has been available with the NCRB, that figure has been hovering around 60% above consistently, consistently for the past 25 years, if not more, because even earlier numbers from the late 70s show that those figures used to be as high as 82 or 83%. Mm. So this is not a new problem. It has never been a new problem. The fact that the courts have said this in Arnab Goswami's case does not make it a non-problem that they never seem to see other people is largely because as you rightly put it other people can't really afford to go to the supreme court the day after their matter is done afford the best of counsel who can put their case in the best of terms which is why and the court has done this the duty in a system like ours there has to be more duties uh, there have to be more duties placed on state actors such as magistrates. The system has recognized this often. And there are several Supreme Court decisions that talk about how the role of the magistrate, and even in these orders, Justice Chandrachud also identifies the magistrate as really the front line of defense. It's not only defense, but also a positive line of duties that are there with the magistrate to test the state's case actively. And I'm not only saying on bail. Every 14 days, a state is going to ask for extension of custody remand. That happens really as if, you know, it's a formality. Mm. But it, it doesn't need to happen as if it's a formality because at least in theory, it's not a formality, which is why you have that limit of 14 days where a court is required to really question the need for a person's continued incarceration. And if that started to be happening, and if that started to happen rather, pardon me, that figure is not going to stay at 70%. You can count my word for that. Right. Just as a, you know, if you could sort of give me a ballpark idea of uh, uh, a regular Joe, what you approach on, on a charge, like perhaps like the ones that uh, uh, Arnab Goswami faced. Exactly. So 306, yeah. I, th- I think, is what the charge in, in that case was. Just right. the, issue, the issue there was also the timing. So there the investigation was complete and it was a very belated arrest. So, I mean, you know, if you take away the belated arrest and assume it's a normal 306 case, hmm. you are not going to get bail immediately because 306 is not a minor offense. It's attempted, it's abetment of suicide and it is punishable very severely. Right. And so you are not going to get bail immediately. And not only are you not going to get bail immediately, an average Joe is going to file a bail application. Your bail application is going to get listed on the first day where a court is then going to say, okay, let's file a reply. And I'm, I'm doing this across states. So I, I can I can give you, you know, I'm not saying I need a pan India, but at least what I'm saying will apply for a few states where the regular procedure will be you apply on, let's say, day one. Your matter, a bail application will get listed on day two. State will get time to file reply anywhere between three days to a week. 
state hopefully will come back with a reply then you will have arguments and then the judge will reserve it for orders which could again take anywhere between 1 to 4 days so it's almost 14 days that it will take for your bail application to really get heard if you're lucky if you're not lucky as many people aren't the state will take a lot of time the judge might take a lot of time your matter might not reach judge might be on leave or if you're in the high court your matter might get argued but the bail decision might get reserved it might take a week it might take a month as it happened in the riots cases the judgment in that case in those cases was reserved for several months the arguments were concluded in march and the judgments were delivered in july right so i mean you know it can it takes a lot more time than what mr goswami and uh, other people were lucky enough uh, to experience right um in anything of note uh, if you have followed the matter in how the courts have dealt with this aryan khan's bail matter anything that is sort of symptomatic if i may of the larger issue I, of this bail regime crisis i have to be really honest i haven't followed it as closely as uh, seemingly everyone else has but uh, <laughs> one thing that one thing that uh, struck me was again something that we mentioned in this conversation which is the alacrity with which you know courts want to accept the state's version and here the alacrity which i felt was alarming was in respect of this this overarching conspiracy and at least what was being reported in the court of first instance uh, bail hearings was about how there is this conspiracy we don't really know all about it but we will soon we will find it trust us and that that really can't be you know how this is i i wasn't there in the room so i don't know how it was argued i'm just going by the by the reports that i was seeing on twitter and and even otherwise but that that struck me as as quite alarming because ultimately if if all it takes is a broad brush allegation of conspiracy to keep me behind bars then really what hope does anyone have okay thank you for your time and thank you for your insights no oh, my pleasure thank you so much thank you thanks also to our listeners i'll be back next friday have a good weekend <laughs>